listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Come on, give our worship team a great big hand. Guys, great job. I don't like to show off, but when I'm on the platform, I also play two instruments, like Nubia. Next week, she'll have a tambourine on one ankle and doing all sorts of stuff. Awesome job. Do you notice that the, the uh, trumpet was red? And Jesse's guitar was green. The drums are red. Like it when it all comes together. It's Christmas. Amen? How many of you love Christmas time? I know, for, years, uh, for years, for me, it, it, there were some challenges to it. And uh, I've kind of worked through those and kind of uh, forced myself. Some of you, you probably like me, Christmas, maybe growing up, there, there were some moments, maybe not the entire thing, but some moments of difficulty because maybe your family was challenged and when everybody came together, there was some in-laws and people fighting and the police showed up and prison and all that, maybe. <laughs> I exaggerate to a degree, but for me, the holidays were always very stressful. And uh, it tended to be a little bit of a downtime. Uh, but, but as I've leaned into Christ and I've leaned into a good, healthy church family, I just really look forward to the holidays. It's a wonderful time to be able to celebrate. Um, while you remain standing, uh, we're in a new series entitled Jesus Came. And this is the season that we celebrate. And as you look at the manger that's behind me, the arrival of Jesus, him showing up, him, him arriving to this world stands for a number of things that are so important to grab onto. But when you look at this manger, it is more than just the birth of a child. The birth of any child is miraculous, and we fight for that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The miracle of life and the preservation of life is one of the reasons that Jesus came. And the birth of Jesus is a wonderful moment, but it's more, he is more than just a child. This is the arrival of the one who's been promised through history past from the first couple. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, after Adam and Eve sinned, the first death took place in the Garden of Eden. A couple of animals were slaughtered and their skins were used to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Their sins symbolically had to be covered, and it took someone or something's death in order to cover their sin. And very much in a, in a pictorial way for Adam and Eve, as they wore these first garbs, the, these clothings, these skins, they wore them with a the recognition that someone had to sacrifice their life for their covering of sin. And this was definitely a prophetic statement. Thank you very much. A prophetic statement meant to echo into the future the thing that was waited for, the coming of the one who would actually fulfill the symbolism, someone who would come and give their life for all of our sins. Isaiah 7.14 reiterated this along with many other scriptures where it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then again, when we see the birth of Christ, and shepherds were gathered, not at the location of the birth, but out in the fields. An angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day, 
born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so when they traveled to see this manger that's behind, something similar to what's behind me, there was the revelation that the plan of God that had been echoed through the past was finally now activated and in motion. This is not just a child, as miraculous as that is. It was the plan of God coming into the world, finally. Jesus came to them. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus continues to come into each and individual of our lives at different times. As he arrived the first time, he continues to arrive in people's lives over and over and over. And there is strong reason behind why he does show up in our lives, thus the purpose for our series. Let me read this portion of scripture to you real simple. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, today we'll focus on, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And here's the key. For the son of man came, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Let's pray. Put your hand over your heart. Let's pray for open hearts to hear what God has to say. Father, we thank you this morning for our church family. We thank you for this community. We pray a blessing over it. Lord, for each person who's entered your house today, those who are watching online, we give you thanks. And Lord, I pray for a heart to hear, a soft heart in a world that constantly wants to harden my heart. I pray my, right now my heart is soft to hear what you're trying to say to me, to us, so that we can become the people postured the way you want us, so that we can reach our world with the, with the great wealth that you offer into our lives on every level as we come into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you give me ears to hear, a heart that's open to receive your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone said amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand before you're seated. Uh, and as you do, the title of my message, just really, really simply, it should be obvious, is that Jesus came to seek and to, Jesus, I've got it, guys. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, all right? Uh, a couple of just reminders of things that are coming up that are really, really valuable to pay attention to. Our Christmas Eve gathering right here from, I believe, 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. Everybody know when that is? December the 24th? Just before you open up your presents, according to the will of God. Uh, don't listen to Annie Jones on this. She has, a, she has a different opinion, and we're going to argue theologically every year like we always do. Don't forget the Vision Builders Soiree, where that will take place here on New Year's Eve, right inside this room. This is a black tie event, so bust out your best. And for, uh, I'm not sure what, if Gershon wears this stuff on a normal Sunday, what's he going to wear? My gosh, where is he at? See, he's, he's out in the restroom. Uh, I'm going to try to one-up him on, uh, for the soiree. Oh, yeah. I don't wear my Elvis costume. I'm going to outdo him. Okay, also, for those of you who've been listening, we get ready to launch uh, for the year 2023 our C3 internship. For those of you who are interested on a deeper level of ministry and leadership and speaking and service in the house of God, the information is already active online. Uh, but we do have a gathering this week on Tuesday night, I believe. Anybody help me with the details? Tuesday Six something, check it, it's on the website. Check it out. Come on out, find out the details. Maybe this will be something very valuable for you, maybe not. Uh, but we're excited about what the new year has for that. So, with that, quick dad joke I'll bet you can't guess the password for Forrest Gump's computer. 
One Forest One. Okay, so tough crowd today. Uh, one Forest One. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. In this portion of scripture, the verbiage there is that Jesus came and he specifically dials into the why, which I want to focus on, is that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, you'll want to remember that this is a portion of scripture that's about Jesus coming into a city, and there's a man there who's heard about Jesus who's short in stature, and in order to be able to see Jesus over the crowd, he climbs up in a sycamore tree, and if you've been to Kids Church, we'd be able to all sing the song together, which we won't do today, but this man named Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus uh, was intrigued as he heard stories about Jesus, and as we read this portion of Scripture, as we look at these couple of key words, this uh, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, you dial into two different categories of people who live on earth today and historically. Now, I know we like to divide people up into categories, rich and poor, you know, white and black, or, or uh, married and non-married, young and old, and we like to segregate people in all sorts of different ways, but scripture doesn't see people that way. Scripture does not see color the way that our culture does. Scripture does not see, in fact, even finances the way that we see them. Uh, there's this new, it's a re-emerging theology that somehow wealthy people only gain their wealth by corruption and manipulation and privilege, which absolutely is not true. It might be true in a few cases, but Jesus interacted with poor and rich alike. Some of his closest friends were extremely poor. And some of his very close friends were also extremely rich because God can see through the, the circumstances of life, but where, what, when you really dial into what really matters, there are two categories of people. There are people who are lost and people who are saved, or they're found, lost and saved. And Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. So lost people, he wants to meet them, interact with them, and move them out of their lostness into being saved and being found. The idea of lost carries a number of connotations with it. By the way, you were born lost, just so that you know that. Your cute, precious new niece or nephew or child that's born that looks perfect in every way, I want you to know is born with a sin nature. You will not have to train that child how to say mine, no, to be angry, to make a mess, okay? The children, believe it or not, they have built within them, because of the world that we live in, a sin nature. You'll have to train them in righteousness, not in sin. Sin will come naturally. And so all of us, after Adam and Eve, who've been born, we are born lost, all of us fall into this category as we start off alive. And this lostness describes our separation from our creator, from the one who made us, the one who owns us. Lost means being separated from the collection that we belong to, all of humanity and its perfection. As we were born, we were separated from what I call the us or God's people. We were removed from that, that, that gallery of wonderful people. We're also separated and lost from God's original resources that he intended us to live with. 
We're separated from his original purpose. Not sure why we're even here in many cases. We're lost, separated from our original value, and we walk around wondering if, if I'm right, if I'm in the right body, if people like me, if my talent is any good. And it doesn't matter how successful people seem to be, there's always this sense of lack of value, and it's shown in how they act and how they behave, struggling to make their place in the earth. No amount of money is ever enough. No amount of Grammys is ever enough. No amount of fans on social media is ever enough for people to actually arrive into their sense of original value because they're lost. They're separated from that. They're lost experiencing a physical, spiritual, and, and, and a soulish type of entropy where we decline through life and ultimately being lost, facing permanent separation from God. And so Jesus is seeking those lost people. From the original ones that he came to uh, on earth when he was born in that manger, but mankind past and mankind today. Every person on the planet of the earth, Jesus is in the process of seeking them so that he can save them. And we'll get into that idea in a moment of seeking what does that all entail, but he's wanting to grab a hold of them and rescue them to bring them back into the things that God originally intended. He wants to save them. He wants to save them or reconnect them to their original creator. He wants to reconnect them to their owner. He wants to create, he wants to reconnect them to God. He wants to save them and add them into the, co the collection of God's people. Right? He wants to push them into community of other people who have experienced being saved. He wants to reconnect them with their original resources. He wants to reconnect them to their original purpose. He wants to reconnect them to their original value as a being. He wants to reconnect them to life, which then brings them to a place of being transformed and ultimately experiencing someday eternal life. Because Adam and Eve were created in perfection and did not need to be saved as they were originally created, but everyone else after their sin has been born into a condition of being lost. Again, that's where we were all born. As you watch Jesus navigate throughout uh, this entire experience, we begin to see that there are different responses from people as he seeks to save them from being lost. There are first an element of people who they were lost and they knew it without question. Jesus shows up on the scene and finally it's like they've been bobbling around in, in an ocean trying to keep their nose above their entire life, above the water level, and Jesus shows up and there's no question, he's savior and they grab onto him and they're immediately lifted out of their circumstances. We see this in the book of Luke um, where there was a man who was so demon possessed, he, he was cutting himself with with rocks. I mean, you know, self-mutilation and self-harm is not a new thing for this generation. It's been going on since the beginning of time. This man would cut himself with rocks because the release of the endorphins as he did that was the only thing that would bring him peace, if you can even imagine that. And he was so wild at times that they would chain him up out on the shore. And at times he would break the chains and become violent. This is a man that was suffering on every level of life. And so when Jesus approached him, the man immediately fell at his feet in a form of worship and Jesus cast the demons out and the man was set free right then and there. 
The man didn't need to be convinced of anything. The very presence of Jesus was like water to, to desert soil. There was no 10 classes. There was no powerful preaching from the pastor. There was no powerful giving message and we could have stopped just there with that, right? There was, there was no dramatic presentation. There was, no, there was no Christmas, nothing, no LEDs. This was a man that was so lost that when he first saw from first glance the light of life, he immediately embraced it. And if you look at the story, it transformed him so powerfully that when people came out to see what they had heard had happened, they found the man totally at peace, calm, sitting at the feet of Jesus, finally wearing clothes, thank God, and in his right mind. And it terrified them. They didn't necessarily celebrate. They were like, what? This is, this is so overwhelming because we knew this guy and the transformation so quick and so fast. And then they're looking at Jesus trying to, trying to figure out how this thing works. But there were those people who were lost and they knew it. And so they responded immediately as Jesus shows up in their life. Then there's those who subconsciously knew that they were lost, but maybe could never really put a finger on it. And it probably showed up at different times in their life where they had fears or they had concerns or they were about to make a big life decision and they weren't sure, should I be doing this? A lot of the concerns, a lot of the fears, a lot of the um, insecurities that most people have were constant reminders that, you know, I feel like I'm missing something, but I'm not sure what it is. Anybody you've been there in life. I think for me, historically, all throughout my life, up until meeting Jesus, there was a, a buried down sense of, Man, something, this, this can't be all there is. There just can't. Because some of the high point moments in life that I was looking forward to, and then I stepped into, they just ultimately felt very hollow. I remember thinking, man, when I graduate, then life begins. And then I graduated. <laughs> Any recent graduates? It's not life doesn't begin there. Terror begins there. Like now it's not just make your bed, it's how am I gonna pay for my car? What am I gonna do with my life? How am I gonna ever afford to do anything in the world that we live in? And just newsflash for some of you young adults, the same numbers that don't match up for your future financially were the same numbers that didn't line up for my generation. Every parent looks back at their kids and says, my kids are never gonna be able to afford a house. But how many of you know that God is bigger than the numbers and you own a house, right? And, and God's favor on your life will help you to accomplish a lot of things. He will, this is part of what he will save you from. He'll save you into life abundant. Uh, for me, this is, a, this is the big part for me. Now, a great example of this biblically is a, actually a, a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man who was all about spiritual things, but how many of you know you could be around spiritual things and know spiritual things and even teach spiritual things and not necessarily have a true experience with the creator God, right? It's, it's true, even gathering in church, not everybody sitting around you has maybe had an experience with Jesus, the things that bring us to church to start off with are maybe a laundry list of completely different ideas, looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend, looking for just something. 
I'm lonely. Oh, business opportunities. I heard there's that church, they do pretty well. I get around those people. Maybe I can sell something, right? And I'm not saying anything, any of those are bad. Those are all part of the equation. But Nicodemus was a man who had been around spiritual things and very devoted to the spiritual things. And yet, Something was still missing in his life. And as you watch his life in the book of John chapter three, he has an, an interaction with Jesus, the very first one, and it becomes very clear in the discussion that Jesus is here and Nicodemus has no clue even how to find this. It's like there is a veil between heaven and earth that, that, that Nicodemus has just not broken through. And so the things that Jesus are saying just it's like they're on a different frequency and Nicodemus cannot figure it out, but his heart is still stirred. And he recognizes looking at Jesus that Jesus, a common man in his mind, who's never been to you know, the school of the Sadducees or the Pharisees, he's never really done the type of things that, that Nicodemus had done. He's not respected by the people as a great teacher. And yet he has something that's so, so attractive about him that this spiritual leader He's, he's kind of being drawn. And even though it's not the politically correct thing, in fact, this is how you could get canceled back then. Be a religious leader, be a Jew, and start being interested in Jesus. And I'm telling you what, you want to talk about cancel culture, that's nothing new. That's in the Bible big time. By the time Jesus' life is over, Nicodemus has been so drawn that he recognizes his need to be saved that he goes out on the day that Jesus is crucified and he gathers money, he gathers the resources. He's one of the people who asks for Jesus' body to prepare it for burial. While the disciples are fleeing off for their lives, this man has been so drawn, he recognized Finally, this is, this is my savior. The thing I'm missing, it's Jesus that he becomes a part of the burial of Jesus Christ. It took him a while to get there. Anybody that resonates with you? I, I, I was kind of like Nicodemus because this is kind of a funny story about me. When I was in high school, I would miss certain wrestling matches throughout the year, all four years that I wrestled, because there were two youth retreats that fell within wrestling season that I was committed to go to. They were church-related, but I'm telling you there was nothing church about these retreats that I was going to. I think I've told you the first time I ever got high was at one of these retreats, okay? That's the type of church that I was going to, and they are out there everywhere, all right? A, sim a sense of religiosity, but no power of God, no experience of the presence of God. And so I was really committed because there I had a bunch of friends and we'd hang out all weekend and we'd talk about some spiritual things. And I was so committed to these that I would miss our crosstown rival wrestling match. I went to Bristol Eastern High School and across town, Bristol Central High School, I had a kid in my weight class and we were like Clash of the Titans. Well, that's in my mind. That's what it was like. <laughs> I would miss that match every year. And my coach knew I was committed to the church thing, and so he was supportive. And I developed the nickname in high school on the wrestling team as Pastor Steve, which is so weird. Because for me, a pastor was a guy who wore a collar who was stuffy and walked around like this and, and handed out plastic wafers during communion. It, it, church for me was a whole different thing. But I had been dubbed that, and in my group of friends, I was considered the spiritual guy. 
because I read my Bible once in a while, because we went to church on Sundays. I, trust me, hear me for a second. I had had no spiritual encounter at all. My motives for going to church, my reasons for involved, being involved with these things had nothing to do with anything spiritual, all right? But over a period of time, because Jesus comes, he shows up. I was finding myself in atmospheres and in situations where this, ah, I don't really know what's going on. I have a sense that I'm missing something, but I'm here. That he was able to open up and begin to draw me. And that's what he did with Nicodemus. And so these are the people that subconsciously know that they're lost. And ultimately, they meet Jesus and they receive him and they finally embrace him as Savior. Unfortunately, there's a third category of people who actually reject the idea of being lost and Jesus' role as Savior. And we see this all throughout Scripture, and we experience it all throughout lifetime. Many of you know somebody, or maybe this is you right now, where you're like, look, I'm good, I'm fine, I got it all together, I'm not worried about the future, I'm not worried about death, uh, so I can make my own way, I can make my own money, uh, I can overcome anything, I've got my good friends, and we're going to take the world, and I don't need your crutch, I've got two legs, and they work perfectly fine, and I just don't need your, your junky Jesus, thank you very much. And this was, unfortunately, even some of the spiritual people that lived in Jesus' time. There were other people of that same group of spiritual leaders uh, that Nicodemus was a part of who actually saw Jesus as a threat. Hear me for a second. Somebody else that maybe possesses something, maybe, maybe you're a plumber and there's a, another plumber who may be better than you, or maybe you pour concrete and there's somebody who pours better concrete than you or you're a realtor and they sell more houses than you or, or they're more attractive than you or they have more followers than you. Listen, they're not threats. They're not threats to your future. They don't have to fail so that you can win. They don't have to. And, and Jesus showed up and he was a threat. And so they felt like in order to be able to hold control over the people, they needed to exterminate him. And so they, they wanted to kill him. There's this portion of scripture, John chapter 8, verse 59, where these religious leaders, as Jesus is sharing very powerfully, that they pick up stones to actually crush him with rocks. You know how difficult it would be to stone someone? It would take a lot of work. If we decided we were going to stone someone this morning, this is hypothetical. I'm not suggesting this. I mean, first of all, you got to run out of this room. You got to go find a rock. How big of a rock can you find in the area? B, how big of a rock can you lift? And what do we have to do to pin somebody down on the ground to actually kill them with enough rocks? And yet this was a very common way that the crowds would go after somebody. And the religious leaders here in John chapter 8, they actually gather the stones, but Jesus was able to slip away and to be safe, and they rejected him as Savior. But nonetheless, Jesus seeks to save the lost. And everyone that falls into all three of these categories, he's still seeking. Now, it's not like he's like, Marco! See, you guys would play well with Jesus very, very wonderfully. He'd find you immediately. It's, it's not like a game of Marco Polo because in Jesus seeking, he can see you. The problem is you can't see him. So when it says that Jesus came to seek, it's 
Not that he can't find you, it's that you can't find him, and so he begins to position himself in your life in ways so that you can see him. And he begins to use circumstances and use people in ways to be able to peel back your inability to see to capture your attention. And I love this. Zacchaeus, who was a shorter man, had heard about Jesus. And so there's already this Jesus seeking. In other words, Jesus' fame went out and it pricked the heart of Zacchaeus so much so that like a tractor beam, he's being drawn towards Jesus. He's one of the people that recognize deep down in somewhere, I feel like I'm missing something and something about this Jesus is drawing me. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. And so he's so interested, he climbs up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Are you tempted? You going to sing along with me? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> we're lost track. Okay, amen. Let's pray. Um, we, we, it's, it's a beautiful picture of him seeking. Now look back at your life for those of you who have experienced Jesus and you will begin to maybe dial in on some key moments in your lifetime where Jesus was positioning himself to get your attention. Now there are definitely a couple of ways this seeking works. I wanna give you those because I think it's important for you to understand so that not only can you see how Jesus sought you, but how he's, seeking after the people that you love and that you care about and want to know Jesus, right? I, because it's not, it's, it, it's really pretty, pretty basic how he actually uh, does this in people's lives. Okay, I'll find it. There we go. Okay, Jesus seeks, there we go. Jesus seeks by means of, number one, divine encounters. And, you know, this is, this is all the working of God without us involved in any way, shape, or form. God's not limited to just showing up in people's lives. I don't think it happens a lot. It's not every day. It's not every week. And in fact, I would say that in the average person's life, it's probably going to happen about once or twice. Where without us looking in that direction, without anybody being involved, all of a sudden, boom, God just does something crazy and shows up on the scene. It's not on your calendar it's not on your friend's calendar. You were praying for your friend, and boom, it just happens. I, can, I know some of you in this room, divine encounters have happened. Talia, someone's knocked on your car door, right? It's, it's somebody tapping on the door saying, hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? Yes, okay? Or it's you were in the airport, and all of a sudden, you were sick, and somebody you didn't know prayed for you, and you felt the warmth go through your body, and you felt healing take place, and you weren't even a believer, God orchestrates a moment. We call it a divine encounter where God looks at his calendar and he says, oh, it's time for me to show up in Corey's life. Corey's far from me and I'm going. And God does those things. Now, the reality is people's response is not necessarily in conjunction with God's divine encounter. Because Jesus shows up this way in lots of people's lives. And what do they do? They're like, I'm, I'm not lost see ya, and walk off. Or, yeah, yeah, cool, and they walk off. Sometimes divine encounters get wasted. They do, it, it happens. 
Probably in my lifetime, it's happened and I didn't even realize it. And we say to ourselves, if God would just show up in our life, reminds me of the guy that was on a marooned on an island and he's praying, God save me. And you probably heard this joke before, but a boat comes by and says, hey, are you, you stuck here? And guys, nope, God's going to save me. And so he sails off. Second boat comes by. Hey, are you stuck here? No, God's going to save me. He sails off. Third boat comes by. God's going to save me. So the boat sails by and the man dies on the island. And the man says in heaven to God, I, I begged you to save me. Why didn't you save me? He said, I sent three boats to save you. Why didn't you get on one of them? We are oblivious at times to God's divine encounters. I'll bet that there's been some remarkable, if God would just show me who he is, there have been times that God has, and we're blinded to it. We just can't see it. Now, thank God we also have a role to play as believers in this entire process, because there's not just divine encounters like when Jesus shows up in Zacchaeus' life, but there can be arranged encounters, that we actually participate in. Did you know the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 32, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone unto myself. The Bible says that where two or three believers are gathered, who is in their midst? Anybody reading their Bible these days? (laughs) B-I-B-L-E, sing that song with me. Maybe we need to start there. Um, The Bible says when people gather together, the presence of God is in their midst. And so there's an opportunity for an encounter to happen as we come together and we invite somebody into that atmosphere. It's when we have individuals who are on mission, where people who have met this Jesus, who have been saved by this Jesus, and go out and begin to share what Jesus has done for them. Not just preaching the Bible, but to share, no, no, this is what God did for me. I I can remember standing in a uh, convenience store that I worked in right before I got saved. And it was really interesting. These guys came in. It was pretty late at night. And uh, they were, I was talking. I was nice to one of the guys. I gave him a, he was really tired. I said, hey, why don't you, let me give you a cup of coffee. You got a long way to drive. I was giving away coffee that wasn't mine. I, I think I was being generous. And he was like really appreciative of it. And he came back in with a little booklet and he began to talk to me about Jesus. I thought, this is, I've never, I've never, I've, I go to church. I'm Pastor Steve. <laughs> This guy's talking, and so the guy said, well, you need to know Jesus. I said, I do know Jesus. And he says, how do you know that you're a Christian? I says, well, the Bible says, confess the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I knew, I knew scripture. I was an unbeliever who knew scripture. I thought I was saved. I didn't even know what saved was. Saved is having a relationship with Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I didn't have a relationship with him. And so when these guys walked away, what was so interesting, they were, they were, they were attempting, and I saved that booklet and in the next month, that, that booklet in going to church uh, ushered me into a relationship with Jesus. I met him, but that was part of one of the steps that began to bring me in that direction. Individuals being on mission. You know, there was this woman who met Jesus at a well, John chapter four, and she has a dynamic encounter and she receives a prophetic word from Jesus and it just, man, it's just her life, you know, she was... Her, life, her track record was rough. And Jesus wrapped his arms around her in a spiritual way and invited her into a relationship with the kingdom of heaven. And she was so moved by it that she ran back into town, even though she was a woman with a bad reputation, she began to knock on doors saying, come, 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 come and meet the man who told me everything about my life. He's helped me. And the Bible 
says that some of the people are shocked that she's knocking on the door, but like they go out to meet this Jesus who changed her life. And in meeting him, they're so moved that they say to her, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now remember, what she said brought them to Jesus. What you say can actually lead people to Jesus. She intentionally went out on mission and said, my friend Sally needs to know Jesus. I'm gonna get her. Hey, Sally, come and meet Jesus. And standing in front of Jesus, Sally, this, this, is, this is what I'm completely confident of when we come together. I don't have to convince you of anything. I don't have to argue a point. I don't have to be more intelligent than anybody else. The one thing I need to make sure is that when you walk into this room, Jesus' presence is here because when he stares you into the eyes, you're gonna be like, whoa. God, you're really real. And you really love me? That's what I'm 100% confident of. That's why we pray before you ever get into this room. It's what we believe for all week. God, we're not trying to, it's not really about the songs. It's about creating an atmosphere where two or three are gathered and God's presence is so thick that you might have a block wall between you and heaven and all of a sudden it melts like wax. That's what we're after. It's somewhere in the midst of all of this, Jesus comes into your world for the first time. I am so confident that he does that I triple dog dare you to just come in here and try to resist. (laughs) Individuals on mission create that. Some of you are in this room because somebody in this room invited you. I can start naming names in this place and it's awesome. And some of you that are in this room because somebody invited you to come into this room would be the first ones on this platform to say, I mean, you'd be polite. You'd be like, oh, Pastor Steve, your message was amazing. Maybe. But what I hear over and over is, oh, I, felt, I could felt something. It's him. It's him drawing you into a relationship. It's him trying to bring you back into his tribe. It's him trying to bring you back into his family where you were originally created to be, to bring you back into connection with all the resources, to bring you back into connection with the value that he's placed on your life, to bring you back into the purpose that he's created you for, to bring you back into a place where you could be perfected and ultimately stand in heaven before him, but live in heaven while you're on earth. I'm confident of that. I'm running a little bit over. Is it okay if I, it's okay. Individuals on mission. There are some of you in this room that are on mission. Mm. My people. On mission. You walk into a place, you're like, who needs Jesus in this place? (laughs) And you're a force to be reckoned with, and it's going to keep dialing up, and you're going to add people to it. Some of you got a whole row next to you, people that you were on mission for. People on mission, this is what I want to challenge you with. Have the confidence You don't need to convince them. You don't need to argue with them. You don't need to prove anything. They just need to experience the presence of God. That's it. So yeah, God could divinely show up and do something on a Thursday afternoon in their dorm room. And maybe he will or maybe he won't, but we don't have to sit around and wait. In fact, we've been challenged to go out and and invite them, compel them to come in. In other words, to create a intentional moment where they will come into an encounter with the presence of God. Now, you can invite them to go out and see a movie. 
And it'll be great friendship, but I promise you that it might not happen there unless at some point before or after you have this dialogue of inviting people to come and worship with you. It's pretty easy. You got 100 other people in the room that are engaged in making sure the presence of God is here so that that, that cement wall can melt like wax. And be confident that it does because the Holy Spirit is the one who melts the cement. And he's incredible. He could change your heart. Yeah, it's just remarkable. Anyways, um, also, as, as I've already said, individuals on mission, but presence-filled gatherings. And worship team is gonna come. And we're gonna sing that second song again. Can we do the whole second song again? That'd be good. And that, uh, the Christmas song was awesome, but we'll do the second worship song, okay? I think I'm gonna get me a colored instrument for next week. Get me a star-spangled kazoo. Okay, probably won't do that. More cowbell. Can you ever have too much cowbell? No. Some of you are like, yes, those non-musicians. Okay, you go ahead and have your opinion. There's a, I'm gonna ditch some of my notes here, but there's a Bible verse that says, don't quench the spirit of God. To quench is like there's a little flame that's trying to burn and you snuff it out because it's like, oh, we don't want this getting on everything. What a couple of you need to hear in the room today is that this thing you keep experiencing when you walk into the room is the presence of God drawing you. And you're wanting to fight because you're like, what is going on? I'm afraid, you know, will I have to become a pastor or be a missionary or am I gonna have to do a giving message? Or, you know, you got all the, oh, what am I gonna have to give up? Jesus is first and foremost trying to save you to himself. The God of the universe wants you to know him as Father. He breathed you into existence. Your mom and dad were involved in a biological act, but life came from the Creator. He breathed upon that biological act and he's your father. And as great a parents as you might have had, they are nothing in comparison to him. And what I wanna invite you to is just stop trying to put that out and say, yes, lean forward. And the details will take care of themselves. He'll show you what to do. You won't always know what the next step is, but he's in the process of saving you from purposelessness into purpose trying to make it on your own to he's gonna help you to being all alone even though you're in a crowd of people to now finally being a part of a family to now having actually direction in life. How about actually having life instead of just survival rat race life, being the gerbil in the wheel every single Monday through Friday so you can have a weekend. Stand with me, okay? Jesus saves. He has come to seek and save the lost. Once he grabs you, you are no longer lost. You might not have all the answers, but you are no longer lost. He moves you out of that category, and now you are with him. 
And he will take you on a journey that he will un, un, unveil one step at a time, but you are no longer lost. You are no longer in a downward trend of decay to eternal death. Now you're spiraling upward, being transformed day by day until you stand before his face and you are completely transformed to become an actual transformed being as you were intended to be from day one. You'll no longer be alone because you'll have a family. You no longer wonder, why am I on this earth? You'll know exactly why you're on this earth. To thrive, to live, to help others to thrive and to live. Say yes to Jesus. He didn't just show up in a manger. He showed up today. He will show up every day of your life if you'll say yes to him. There's not a morning that doesn't happen when I don't get up and at some point I'll be, I'm saved and I know it. Say amen. And it's more valuable than anything that I've ever experienced. I am his. He is mine. We're doing this together. We'll make it through anything we face. It won't always be easy. We, I won't always win because I don't pay attention, don't follow all the directions, but I belong to him. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was lost, but now I am found. Your hands raised, let's pray. I'm not gonna close my eyes, you know me. I like to peek when I pray. You should too. The little kids do, the little kids know how to pray. They do. I look you in the eye. I'm gonna ask you the question. Have you said yes to Jesus? Yes. Have you said yes to Jesus? Yes. Today, everybody has to have a day that they say yes for the first time. If you have not said yes to Jesus yet, today's your day. Today's the day you move out of this category from being lost to being saved. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. And I invite you to say amen as well. As we pray today, we're gonna say yes to Jesus as a church family. But if you pray this prayer for the very first time, I want you to let me know afterwards. Just come up, I might not know your name. Maybe you've been coming for 10 years. Steve, today I finally, listen, there's not gonna be any, any shame. I'm gonna hug you, I'm gonna be like, welcome home. We'll get you a Following Jesus book. We'll get you signed up for our Following Jesus class that Jenny's teaching in January. Start your walk with Jesus. Jesus came not so we can have Christmas Eve and open our gifts. Jesus came so that you can move from lost to being saved. Amen? Amen. Hands raised again. Let's do this together. Jesus, repeat after me. Jesus. Now only say this if you mean it. But if you mean it and you say it, this, this is like saying I do in a wedding. You're not marrying me, by the way, okay? So we get it. Jesus, I say yes. Come on, say it with me. Jesus, I say yes. I say yes. I say yes, finally. I say yes again. I say yes again and again and again and again. Thank you for asking again. Yes, 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 yes. I say yes to you, Jesus, over anything. I say yes. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a big hand if you believe.
Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 